Welcome to the Sunday Sermon Podcast of First United Methodist Church in Opelika. We'd love for you to join us for worship each Sunday at 8.30 or 11 a.m. To learn more about First United Methodist, visit us online at fumcopelika.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook at fumcopelika. Thanks for tuning in. The sermon today is going to be a little different. If you've peeked ahead in your worship guide, you've noted that the sermon today is titled, A Letter to the Baptized. And it's true that my sermon today is intended for Radford to say something of what happened to him today by water and the Spirit. But on a different level, it is also a letter to all the baptized to say something of what happened to you when you were brought forward to the baptismal font. And if you're here this morning and you've never been baptized, I pray that you will hear in these words an invitation, an invitation to what we pray will one day be your baptism. So as we prepare to hear the proclamation of God's word, I will invite you as you're able uh, to stand for the reading of God's word. Our scripture today comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 28. Hear now the word of the Lord. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory about to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, and not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning in labor pains until now, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly, while we wait for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what is seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we ought. But that very spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. And God, who searches the heart, knows what is the mind of the spirit, because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And let us pray. Living God, speak to me. Speak through me. If necessary, speak in spite of me, but always beyond me. God, as you speak, give to us open ears, soft hearts, and courageous minds, that we might be shaped by your word, and our lives might be ordered according to your wisdom, which orders all things for good. Hear this, our prayer, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen. Dear Radford, mark this date down. 
Sunday, August 29th, 2021. This is the day you were baptized. I'm giving this letter to your parents with the hope that they will save it and then give it to you for you to read several years from now on the day of your confirmation. Now, in the event that the bishop has whisked me away to another congregation or more likely exiled me to Demopolis, uh, allow me to introduce myself. I am the Right Reverend Patrick, as in I'm right about most things and reverent about very little. I'm one of the pastors who baptized you. Sorry. By the time you read this, you'll be old enough to realize that what I've done to you commits you to struggling with some inconvenient choices. Will you serve God or money is one such dilemma. Will you work hard to get as far up the ladder of success as you can, or will you live the posture of a servant is another inconvenient choice. Will you live as though happiness can be found in a filtered, homogenized Instagram pic? Or will you live knowing that true happiness is found among those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? These are all inconvenient choices, because in every case, the choice your baptism commits you to goes against the grain of both culture and country. So you see, your baptism, if done rightly, will make you odd. Now, by the time you read this, Radford, you'll be the age when odd is about the last thing you'll want to be. By the time you read this, you'll be an age where what you want most is to conform, to blend in, to be normal, a desire from which we never recover. So I won't be shocked then if you'd like to register your complaint with me for what I've done to you in baptizing you. But the truth is, uh, you should take up your gripes with your parents. They were more than just accessories to the crime. You see, your parents, Wit and Jesse, uh, they had you baptized against your will and without your consent. They didn't postpone your baptism until you could choose for yourself, nor did they wait until you were old enough to understand whatever that might mean. Today, your parents brought you to the baptismal font without your consent, and they made sacred vows in front of God and everyone. They vowed to nurture you in Christ's holy church, that by their teaching and example, you will lead a Christian life. Their act of bringing you to the baptismal font today might just be the most countercultural act your parents ever commit. By having you baptized in the way of Jesus before you could make up your mind for yourself, your parents prophetically and counterculturally acknowledged that you don't have a mind worth making up. None of us do. Our minds are in bondage to sin. And therefore, oh, we don't have minds worth making up until we have had our minds shaped by the mind of Christ. A quick aside, I once had a young couple tell me that they were going to let their children choose their religion for themselves when they were older. I replied by telling them that they should raise their children to be atheist for at least that would require their children to see their parents' held convictions. If it sounds like I'm being offensive, 
in order to get your attention. It's because I'm being offensive in order to get your attention. We live in a culture that thinks Christianity is just something you get to choose or not, as if it's no different from choosing between an iPhone or a Samsung. Notice that no one thinks it odd to raise their children to love their country, to serve their country, and even die for it. But some people think that their kids loving God, serving God, and possibly suffering for God should be left to their own choice. Interesting. You see, our culture teaches us to think that we should get to choose the story of our life for ourselves. The problem is that in itself is a story, a story none of us got to choose, which makes it not just a story, but a fiction, a lie. It is a lie to suppose that the choice is between religion or no religion. It's a fiction to believe that the choice is between faith or no faith. As the great prophet Bob Dylan once sang, they may call you doctor or they may call you chief, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Radford, I pray you won't have to ask your parents who Bob Dylan is, but I digress. The point is, everyone will ultimately have to serve somebody or something. So today, we baptized you without your consent and before you could choose for yourself. We did so because if we do not make you a participant in the story of Christ, another rival story will soon and surely take its place over your life. The story of more or might. The story of money or me. So today, by water and the Spirit, we baptized you into God's story and made you a participant in the story that God is writing in the world. Radford, all this talk about stories makes me think of my favorite story from childhood. It's called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. The main character in this story is a young girl named Lucy. We encounter Lucy for the first time as she's playing hide-and-seek with her older brothers and sister in the home of a distant relative. On one rainy afternoon, Lucy decides to explore a giant wardrobe, and she finds within that wardrobe an entrance to another world, a world called Narnia. Narnia is a magical place, but it's clear that something is terribly wrong. In Narnia, it's always winter, but never Christmas. Lucy soon learns that all of Narnia is under the enchantment of an evil sorceress known as the White Witch. She also learns that the rightful king of Narnia is a lion named Aslan. Radford, if the church has done even a passing job of shaping your imagination, then you've already realized that Aslan is a certain good shepherd in lion's clothing. And the white witch represents what the Bible calls the powers of sin and death. I, I tell you all this because the font in which you were baptized is not unlike that giant wardrobe. By your baptism, you, like Lucy, have become a major character in a magical story. 
But this story is true. It's a story of a world that is under the grips of sin, but whose rightful king is Jesus. In Narnia, Lucy and her siblings quickly find themselves following Aslan in rebellion against the White Witch. Likewise, your baptism outfits you as a follower of Jesus and enlists you in an uprising against the brokenness and disorder of this world. And that's why your parents made vows today on your behalf to renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of their sin. They also vowed to accept the freedom and the power God gives them to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. If all this sounds risky and dangerous, you're starting to get the point. The Christian life is a great adventure, but far too many adults have made it boring. Don't believe them. Life with Jesus is not safe, but I assure you it's good. In fact, it is the only kind of life that's worth living. Rad, for the vows that were made on your behalf today, they will take you a lifetime to live into. But that is true for all of us who bear the name Christian. That's why we need the church. None of us can go at this alone. There is no such thing as a self-made Christian. It takes a village, and that's why we refuse to perform private baptisms. Baptism is the work of the church. And today, that church, this church, made vows to pray for you and care for you and surround you with a community of steadfast love so that you may be a true disciple and walk in the way that leads to life. My deep and earnest prayer for you is that you will grow to be a true disciple. My prayer is that you will discover that Jesus is not only the way, the truth, and the life, but that his truth is the way that leads to life. And if that's the case, then the way to deal with offenders, Radford, is to forgive them. The way to deal with violence is to suffer. The way to deal with war is to wage peace. The way to deal with money is to give it away. The way to deal with the poor is to befriend them. The way to deal with enemies is to love them and pray for them. And the way to deal with a sinful world that knows not Jesus is to live on earth as though you were in heaven. To live a life that bears witness to the truth that Aslan is on the move. And the white witch, though she does not know it, has already been defeated. Now, if all this seems impossible, I get it, kid. <laughs> Christianity is a lot like baseball. You're going to strike out more often than you get on base. At times, you will fail. You will fail to live up to the high calling that is now yours. You will fail to live in accordance with the scriptures. You will fail to live into your baptism. And though your failures may keep your parents up at night, your failures do not disqualify you as a Christian. That's the beautiful thing about baptism. Uh, you've been baptized into Christ, 
And now what belongs to you, namely your sin, has been given to Christ. And what belongs to him, namely his righteousness, has been given to you. The church calls this the great exchange. And it is great good news. In baptism, you have been given Christ's own permanent perfect record. And all you have to do is believe and trust that in Jesus Christ, God's gotten out of the scorekeeping game forever. Faith, therefore, is not an accomplishment, but a gift. It is a gift that sets you free. A gift that sets you free to live in a manner that makes no sense if Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead. My favorite theologian, Karl Barth, says that Christians are simply those who are awakened again and again to the fact that their lives are hidden with Christ in God. Radford, I pray that the Holy Spirit, which was present in your baptism, will continually awaken you to this reality. The reality of your truest identity, your identity as a child of God. If you're still following along, I'd like to close this letter by sharing a scripture with you. It's the same scripture I shared with the church on the day of your baptism. In Romans 8, Paul describes a world in bondage to decay, a world that is groaning in pain. Paul is describing the sufferings of this present time. Radford, the year of your baptism has not been a good one. We have all felt the sufferings of this present time. Racial turmoil, political tribalism at home, terror and chaos abroad. Meanwhile, an invisible virus has turned our world upside down. But in an astonishing twist, Paul says that this suffering, groaning creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. Did you catch that? While we long for God, the world is longing for God in us. God doesn't want to change the world through angels or ideas, though he could. God wants to change the world through his sons and daughters, through his children. Radford, God wants to change the world through you. And that's why you don't get to choose the story of your life for yourself. Because your story is not just your own. You've been baptized into Christ. You are now a part of his story. You belong to his people. A people intent on bearing witness to the kingdom of God here on earth. Radford, the truth is, I don't know when you'll read this, where you will be, or who. But I do know this. I do know that you belong to God. This is true of you today and will be forever. And we know that all things, all things work together for good for those who love God who were called according to his purpose.
may it be so for you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.